How do you maintain focus when you encounter challenges, obstacles, and other problems designed to knock you off balance as you pursue your purpose in life? We'll examine this in this series, Focus, the Guardian of Purpose. Let's jump in. In our last session on Focus, we discussed two individuals from the Bible who gave us great examples of how to maintain focus, especially uh, in time of adversity. The clock is not ticking, which is fine with me. <laughs> we looked at Daniel from the Old Testament. We know his story, his challenge uh, in the lion's den. And we looked at Apostle Paul from the New Testament. And we also looked at someone we all know, Apostle Price, whose life and victory over adversity he has clearly shared with us, freely shared with us. And he is a living example of how one's integrity and determined focus on purpose can result in tremendous success. Now, in the three examples, we saw how each man, Daniel, Paul, and Price, used their adversity and struggles in life as a means of, of developing endurance. How do they do it? Let me give you a few points by way of summary. One, they took charge of their mind. As Aldous Huxley put it, these three decided that it's not what happens to you that's important, it's what you do with what happens to you. It's your, some would say reaction, I really put it so it's your response to what happens to you that makes a difference. And you can change what happens to you to the positive based on your response. Just like it takes two to get into a fight, but it only takes one to get out of it by one person's response to it. In other words, you, you, uh, do you focus on the challenge or do you focus on the growth and good that can come out of the challenge? You have to conclude in your mind that the difficulty is not designed to derail you, but to develop you. The second point is Daniel Paul and Apostle Price got out of the excuse business. Amen. And that's tough for a lot of people because we, instead of living and walking by faith, we live and walk by excuses. <laughs> excuses are the lies, some of us call them reasons, that we tell ourselves when we are too weak or too afraid to act, to do the things that need to be done. We say things like this, I don't have enough education. I don't have enough money. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm the wrong race. Nobody's going to help me. These are the lies that we tell ourselves because these are the lies that the world has put into our mind that are there to derail us. As one writer put it, if you don't achieve your dreams, it will be because you made the decision to be detained by your excuses. They will detain you. Excuses will always keep you in a limited place. You conquer excuses by having the courage to step out in faith as those three men we discussed and do what seems impossible. The third point is Daniel Apostle Paul and Apostle Price chose to live a life of faith. They were able to step out in faith and do what seemed impossible. Do you know that it takes more energy to live a life full of fear than it does to live a life full of faith. Remember, fear is worshiping the words of Satan uh, and faith is worshiping the words of God. 
God's word says that you can do all things through him who strengthens you and that he will keep you in perfect peace if your mind is stayed on him, meaning stayed on his word. Fear and faith cannot coexist. They will neutralize one another. Fear will always attempt to immobilize you. Remember this. Fear will always attempt to immobilize you while faith is designed to energize you. Amen. So if you're being immobilized, it's because fear has you. If you're being energized, then you can stand on the fact that you're moving out in faith. Number four, never give up. I saw, we, we saw this in, with Daniel, and we saw this with, obviously with Paul. Paul suffered so many things, and I went over this in some earlier messages. He was beaten, shipwrecked, imprisoned, stoned, everything, but he never gave up. He never gave up in terms of pursuing his purpose, which was to preach the gospel of grace of Jesus Christ. Uh, Apostle Paul never gave up. I mean, Apostle Paul. Apostle Price never gave up. And I saw this firsthand. Uh, he had so many things that came against him in his early years in the ministry. In fact, his first 17 years as a minister were disastrous. He went bankrupt. He lost everything. His firstborn child, son, was killed crossing the street, coming home from school at a young age, about eight or nine, Frederick, the first Frederick. He had every kind of adversity that you could imagine, but he never gave up. He never gave up. Uh, trials are one of the greatest teaching tools of life. They help you learn endurance, and as I always say, it's how you grow through the experience that counts. It's growing through and not just going through that determines where you are going to. You need to grow through it, and I always like to add that you will continue to go through things that you're going through until you grow through them. And I'll give a good example. I've counseled people here, as you know, and I've had, uh, for example, women come in and say, you know, this is my third marriage that's going bad. I seem to always attract the wrong kind of person. Well, guess where the problem is? If you are attracting the wrong kind of person, the problem is in you. And so unless you grow through the experience, you will continue to go through it and go through it. So it's growth that determines how you get out of the situation. And a fifth point is, in the lives of these three, Daniel, Apostle Paul, and Apostle Price, we see that with every success that they gain, they gain strength and empowerment for greater victories. Daniel went on to become the second in command uh, over the nation of Persia. Remember, Daniel was a Jew taken into captivity and so forth. And he rose to prominence in the Babylonian and Persian Empire. Second in command, uh, like Joseph did in Egypt uh, back in uh, Genesis. Uh, Paul, as you know, went on to write most of the New Testament. And Apostle Price has written dozens of books, grew the first one of the first mega church ministries in this nation and his teachings and life have touched and uplifted millions around the world. Amen. We can see more and do more and be more because we stand on the shoulder of giants like Daniel, Paul, and Price. Uh, we can move from success to success as they did. 
What we learn from the lives of these three great men of God is that we don't have to be limited by the adverse difficulties experienced in our life. Overcoming adversity is the secret of pursuing our purpose. Through having the right mindset, not making excuses, not giving up, developing ever-increasing faith, and being energized by each level of success, we can achieve with determined focus our purpose in life. Now I'm gonna spend a few more minutes in review uh, talking about this because what the lives of those three men show us is that purpose, pursuit, and focus on this purpose involves work. And many times it's hard work, Amen. as in Paul's life and in Apostle Price's life, as I said, that I'm completely familiar with. Uh, uh, turning your Bibles, you were just in Ecclesiastes uh, with uh, Elder Ivan. Go back to Ecclesiastes. You were in chapter 11. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And look at verse 10. 9 verse 10, where it says that whatever your hand finds to do, your hand finds to do, that's your purpose. Do it with might, which means not half-heartedly, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. That's kind of pessimistic, but what it's what, what saying is that when you get to shul or the grave, you don't have to worry about any information, any devices, or so forth. Work diligently at what you set your hands to. It means being tenacious. Writing on the, the discipline of spiritual tenacity, and I think I quoted this last week, Oswald Chambers says this, tenacity is more than endurance. It is endurance combined with the absolute certainty that what we are looking for is going to transpire, is going to happen. It means what we are looking for is what we are focused on. Now, we have said that the enemy of focus is distraction. In the book I cited earlier, Focus, the Hidden Driver of Excellence, uh, distractions that derail our attention are a primary source of that study. The author points out that many adults suffer from uh, adult attention deficit uh, disorder uh, and that they are easily, easily distracted from their attention. Now let me mention a few distractions we know about from our own personal experience. We are distracted by personal and family obligations and problems. Of course, they're real. We are distracted by financial obligations and challenges. They are real. We are distracted by health challenges. They are real. They are reality, but none of them are finality. This is what you have to remember. They're real. We don't say. The Apostle Price was very clear in teaching about this because some people say, well, it doesn't exist. That, that lump on your chest doesn't exist. No, they're real. They're reality, but they're not finality. They're finality if you give in and start talking about my cancer, my arthritis, my aching back, and so forth, the things that Minister uh, 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 Al Crawford was talking about in Bible study. Right? If you claim them, then uh, they will hang around. But they're not re reality. I mean, they're not finality. We're distracted by what friends and coworkers think and say. <clears throat> Too much so some of us allow what others think to dictate what we do or not do. We're distracted by the multifaceted high-tech gadget world we live in. And I have never seen so many people walking around. I've seen people actually walk into a moving car crossing the street. 
I'm in the subway station just the other day, and this little blonde-haired girl standing right on the edge, past the yellow line, the train is coming, looking, and we have all the evidence of some disturbed people down in the subways who are pushing people. You didn't have to push her, you just blow on her and she would be down in the track. Not paying attention, too distracted by the gadgets. And of course we're distracted by the struggles, pain, and fears which we just discussed earlier. We allow ourselves to be interrupted even in prayer, including praying in the spirit when we hear a little signal that we have a text or an email or a phone call. Because like God, wherever we are, our phones and our gadgets are. <laughs> and it's true, they have become an extension of us. And we wouldn't dare. I mean, I was here in the office one day and I realized I had left my phone. I had to go back and get it because we live by that phone. All your contacts, all the information. 98% of the people call me on my cell phone, not on that phone. And the people out west call me on my cell phone, not on the church phone. So they are an extension of ourselves. So today it is actually, uh, bless you, bless you, bless you, so much an extension of ourselves that we allow it to be a major distraction. You could be in the middle of writing a lesson such as this one I am presenting this morning and allow a great thought you are about to express in writing to be lost because it was interrupted by a text signal on your phone. I'm writing this because that's exactly what happened to me one day. <laughs> and it's funny, when, when you get a thought, which is like an inspiration or illumination, you might call it a revelation uh, on the word, you need to write it down that's immediately. True. You need to write it down immediately. And that's why so many of us keep a pad by the bed at night because for some strange reason, a lot of these good thoughts come at two and three in the morning. <laughs> And you may think you can remember when you wake up. More likely than not, you will not. So you need to write them down. So in terms of maintaining focus on your purpose, you have to be selective about who your friends are. As I said, they can detract you and the company you keep because they can be a major uh, source of negative distraction. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. You can write it down or go there. I'm going to go ahead and move along because I want to get to another segment of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 tells us, do not, be see, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Amen. Select associates and friends that will be a positive asset to you and have a positive, uplifting benefit to you. Proverbs 13, 20. And you should write this one down because this is good to know. Proverbs 13, 20 reminds us that he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Choose your companions wisely. And Proverbs 27, I forgot to put what the verse was, but you go to Proverbs 27 and that'll be your homework. Look up and see what the verse is. It informs us that iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. In other words, you want to associate with people who are going to make you sharper. And my only point there is that you have to make sure that one of you is not made of wood. Amen. Charles Tremendous Jones, author of Life is Tremendous, says this, and I mentioned this, I think, last time. He says, what you will become in five years will be determined by what you read and by who you associate with. Very important, what you read. So it's important to associate with the right kinds of people, and it's important to read books that will enable you to grow and develop and advance. 
and the first book in that listing is this one. But there are a lot of other books on a lot of, just as the, the, the book that I cited on, uh, on uh, focus, The Hidden Driver of Excellence, uh, that can help you. Now, uh, you have to allow, you have to not allow anyone to cause you to miss your destiny, to cause you to lose focus on your purpose. In rather strong language, Og Mandino writes this, he says, I will persist until I succeed. I was not delivered into this world in defeat, nor does failure curse in my veins. In other words, I do not inherit failure. I do not inherit disaster. I do not inherit inability to deal with adversity. He says, I am not a sheep waiting to be prodded by my shepherd. I am a lion and I refuse to talk, to walk, to sleep with sheep. I will hear not those who weep and complain, for their disease is contagious. Let them join the sheep. The slaughterhouse of failure is not my destiny. I will persist until I succeed. Those are the three men I talked about, Daniel, Price, and Paul. They would not give up. Now, this is genuine commitment to an unbroken focus. Another distraction that I want to mention uh, before closing out this segment, uh, the great enemy of focus is procrastination. Yes. Now, I'm only mentioning this uh, for, that you can share with other people because I don't see any procrastinators in this room. Amen. <laughs> We're not supposed to lie, are we? I call procrastination the art of keeping up with yesterday. It really, it really is the great thief of time. The delay in doing something that needs to be done or that should have been done has been one of the one thing that has destroyed a good project or derailed a good effort on many occasions. Because one thing, for example, if you have a good idea, it's one thing about the universal flow of ideas. You're not likely to be the only person to come up with that idea. That's whether it's for a book or an idea, an invention, and so forth. So you need to act, act on yours, otherwise someone else will step up and take advantage. Uh, what that, that statement that uh, Ira, Ira Hilliard uh, likes to say, he says that an opportunity must be seized, and I'm, I'm trying to remember, in, with, it must be seized within the lifetime of the opportunity, and it has a time span, otherwise, otherwise someone else will seize that opportunity. And that is so true. That's true. So, uh, if it needs to be done, do what Nike says. Just do it. Jesus tells us in Luke uh, 10, I think Luke 10, 37, go and do. Go and do. Your focus should be on now or today, as the song told us. If you were listening to the lyrics a little while ago, right now or today, your focus should be on now or today and not on tomorrow. In fact, this is a good one to remember. James chapter 4 Verse 13, James chapter 4, verse 13. 4, 13 tells us, come now, as in right now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go. Do it right now. This is where that old saying comes from, never put off until tomorrow what you can do today. Uh, <laughs> if you wait until then, that is later tomorrow, you may have been thrown off your focus for good. 
As you focus on your pursuit of purpose, you need to remember that progress is not always in a straight line. And I touched upon this last week. You may encounter setbacks or even failures, certainly adversity, as we discussed with the three individuals we talked about. You need to know that a failure or setback does not mean that you are not on the right track. Nothing is a failure if you learn something from it, if you grew from it. I like what Henry Ford says about failure. He says, failure is simply the opportunity to begin again, this time more intelligently. In other words, you learn from your failure. So don't focus on the failure, focus on the opportunity. And since we are to seek God and seeking our purpose, we need to keep our mind focused on God as we focus to guard our purpose. Isaiah 26.3, you know this by heart, reminds us that he will keep us in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. On him, meaning stayed on his word. Uh, Psalm 34.5 says this. That Psalm 34.5 says, Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Psalm 34.5. And Hebrews 3.1 says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider, consider means to fix your thought or focus on, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. That's what you focus on, Christ Jesus. It is saying fix your thoughts on him. And an important fact to remember in closing out this section on focus is that you will be better able to focus on your purpose if you make God a partner in this purpose. Proverbs 16.3, and this is a good one to have. This is for anyone who plans to do anything. Proverbs 16.3 says, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Proverbs 16.3, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. And Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 gives us this assurance that if we are with God in our endeavors. We can do so being confident of this very thing, that who, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, I always make this promise. I hope to, to actually put this together and hand it out to you so you can have this and be able to refer to it. In the meantime, you should buy the tapes. But what I want to do right now in the remaining time we have today is to turn from a discussion of our individual purpose in life and focus on the purpose of this ministry, Crenshaw Christian Center New York. As born-again Christians and members of this congregation, we all have a definite role and can play a definite part in carrying out the purpose of this ministry. Just what is that purpose? Before getting into this discussion of purpose, let's distinguish purpose from the pastor's vision and the church's mission statement. And I think I really should pass these out because many of you may not remember these. If you, haven't, if you were not in the health ministry, you may not know this. But anyway, in stating his vision of the ministry, Apostle Price wrote the following. He says, many years ago, the Lord gave me a vision of a church of born-again, spirit-filled believers that would be governed solely by the principles and doctrines rec recorded in God's word. This church would, in its teaching and in its growth, operate within biblical principles, instructing all the people in the word so that they would learn how to rise from burned-out hopes and faulty lifestyles using clearly defined and enlightened precepts of faith, accept and enjoy the privileges and promises God has for us through Jesus Christ. 
So I'll, I'll make sure I put this in your hands for those of you who have never heard. This is Apostle Price's vision for the ministry. Uh, the church's mission statement is straightforward, and you probably have seen this if you ever go to the website. Uh, this is Pastor Price Jr.'s uh, edition. The mission statement is straightforward. It says, live Christ, love people, teach people. Amen. Now, in carrying out the pastor's vision and the church mission statement, we are positioned to pursue the purpose of the ministry, which is, and your ears should tune up, you probably already know this, the mission is to seek and save the lost by teaching the uncompromising word of God and proclaiming to the lost, proclaiming to the lost the good news, which is the gospel of grace of Jesus Christ. The purpose is to seek and save the lost. Uh, Elder Nate touched on this uh, this morning in his discipleship training class, seek to save the lost. Uh, now, in carrying out this purpose, we are workers together with Jesus who declared, and you need to go and look at this, uh, go to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Look at verse 10. Jesus states his purpose right there. Luke 19, 10. And you need to see it, write it down, know it's there, and know what it says. Luke 19, 10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So we are co-workers with him in this ministry. This is a church of Jesus Christ. This is the body of Christ. So our purpose is the same as his purpose, to seek and save the lost. So there are two questions we should answer. We should ask an answer about this. Are we carrying out the purpose of the ministry? And two, how do we carry out this purpose? To answer question one is easy, meaning are we carrying it out? All you have to do is look around. If you see 98% of the same people here today as were here last week, we're not doing the best job we could in seeking to save the lost. In other words, we're not bringing in lost sheep. Uh, we're bringing in, thank God that uh, no one needed healing uh, this morning. And thank God if no one needs uh, uh, salvation today. But it's not our purpose to sit here and just learn the word ourselves. We need to share it with others. And I'll get into the how later. So look around. Say how many new people are here for the first time today. When is the last time you invited someone to church or Bible study? When is the last or first time you led someone to salvation? Do you know how to do this? Is the church growing? Now, I've heard a number of members here say that growing the church, the ministry, is the job of the pastor. And since we don't have a pastor right now, what can we do? Others have said, well, we don't really have a church home, meaning a church building. We meet in a hotel. We need to have our own church building. I'm going to address these two uh, quickly this morning. I'm going to come back to this at, at a later point in another message. But let me just uh, speak to this. Now, we may eventually have a new pastor and eventually a new church home, but you need to know this, that neither is an absolute necessity for carrying out the church's purpose, which is to seek and save the lost. The pastor and the church building is not with you when you're at home talking to your relatives. The pastor in the building is not with you when you are talking to a neighbor or a coworker and so forth. It has never been the job of the shepherd that's a pastor, to beget sheep. Shepherds don't beget sheep. Sheep beget sheep. You are supposed to bring in new sheep. And uh, guess what? 
and this will be news to some people. You're not supposed to bring a new sheep for the pastor to convert. Actually, you're supposed to bring in new sheep after you have led them to salvation. It's an interesting point. I think a lot of people don't realize that. And then the pastor can teach them how to grow in faith and grow in the things of God. That's the way it should work so far. Uh, so getting back to this uh, uh, pastor business, we have gotten used to the one pastor in charge of everything model, and we think that that's the way it has to be. Now, in terms of basing the church on scripture, what's in the Bible, it's interesting to note that in the book of Acts, where the early church's growth and development is found, you don't find the word pastor used once. The early church did not have, the early church did have strong leaders and elders, but you never had one person who was the pastor. They shared leadership and they shared the responsibility. Okay, many of us also have the mistaken idea that it's the pastor's job to bring in the sheep. I already talked about that. Uh, it's our responsibility. So not having a pastor, there's no reason for not bringing in new sheep if the word is going forth in clarity and strength by the church leaders and by the elders, so forth. And I think it has been uh, over the months that we have not had a pastor. And it was true in those other high uh, gaps when we didn't have a pastor. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus, the chief pastor and shepherd, made provisions for us in the event we were absent a shepherd. As you know, Jesus was getting ready to depart from earth and the disciples, not unlike many of us at this present time, were sad and were wondering what would happen to them without their teacher, without their pastor and teacher, their shepherd, their leader, their helper, their guider and comforter. Jesus told them and told us in the process this, and you need to turn in your Bibles to this, go to Gospel of John, chapter 14, Gospel of John, chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 16. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, I will pray the Father, and he will send you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. 17, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. It's the Holy Spirit. And uh, John 14, 18, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And he did come to us in the form of the Holy Spirit. He is with us, so he's never left us nor forsaked us. He's here. Amen. Church, we're not orphans. We have the Holy Spirit, and we can carry on in the physical absence of Jesus and in the physical absence of a local shepherd or pastor. As Jesus himself said in Luke 10, 37, go and do. We need to get going and doing. We need to shift our focus away from anticipating the arrival of the new pastor to the purpose of the ministry, which is to seek and save the lost. Now, word to those who feel that we need a church building to carry out, to call our own to carry out the church's purpose of seeking to save the lost. And by example, I want you to just look to the north of us on Broadway. In fact, the address is 1515 Broadway. That's just right off Times Square and look at perhaps the fastest growing church in the city, Hillsong. Hillsong has thousands of members and they meet weekly at 
PlayStation Theater in that location off Times Square. They had no intention of investing millions of dollars in a physical building or plant. They also have services downtown in Union Square at the Irving Plaza Theater. They have no intention of investing millions of dollars in a building. They carry out all of the functions of a church, and I mean the full range of activities where they are. Now there's a large church in Alabama, and I didn't have a chance, I just added this this morning, I didn't have a chance to look up the name, but it's a large church in Alabama that's been around for a few years. It has over 12,000 members, and all of its services since the beginning have been held in movie theaters, like AMC where we left. All of their services, they have no intention putting 20 million or 30 million into a building. These ministries feel that the money is better spent pursuing the purpose of seeking to save those who are lost, so forth. So, the use of rental facilities as we do here in this office and at the hotel, that's a growing trend among a lot of ministries, so forth. And speaking of looking at what existed in the early church, based on what's in the book, book here, you know that there were synagogues in the Bible, but do you know that there was, there is not one Christian church building in the Bible? Now, some of you say, well, how is it so when Paul is writing these epistles to the church at Corinth, the church at Ephesus, the church at Thessalonica, and other places, and so forth, when he's writing to these places, he's not writing to uh, 470 8th Avenue, Ephesus, Cometh, uh, Turkey. He's writing to the community of believers there. And that community of believers, by and large, met in one another's houses or they met out in the open and, and, and so forth. So the church building uh, did not come into being until the second, uh, until uh, 2300 AD. The church was in decline then, and I guess somebody got the great idea, well, if we build a focus point, people will come. That didn't happen until way after the beginning of the church, and it really came in a full-blown uh, practice of having a church or cathedral when the church fell into the, the hands of Rome. Constantine when made Christianity the official church of Rome, then the idea of the cathedral came into being and became the, the, the dominant thing. But that was, that's not part of the original church. So, forth. so I'm not saying that we go back to meeting in people's homes and so forth and so on. What I'm saying is that to carry out the purpose of the ministry, which is to seek and save the lost, you don't have to do it from a building and you don't have to do it with a pastor. So forth. Christians have all gotten away from the truth stated in Acts 17. You need to go there, Acts 17. Acts 17, and the first verse we're going to look at is this. This is Acts 17, 24. This is Apostle Paul speaking. Acts 17, 24. He says, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. So a lot of people feel that they have to be in a church where God is. I've said it so many times, the only way God is in that building or that church Amen. or that monument is if we bring him in with us. That's right. And so uh, Drop down to Acts 17, 27, which says, 
Acts 17.27, which says, So that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. And Acts 17.28 continues this thought, For in him we live and move and have our being. We have forgotten that the church is not a building. We, the people, are the church. So let's review a few relevant scriptures pointing to that. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and look at verse 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 reads as follows. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? We're the temple of God, not the building. And so, as I say, if God is in that physical structure we go into, he's only there if we take him with us. Uh, you in 1 Corinthians go to chapter 6 and look at verse 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. And it reads, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? So God and the Holy Spirit is right within us. We don't go to a church building or have to hear from a pastor to tell us it's true. We know it's true from the word. And the third one I want you to look at is, and these are all the scriptures you know, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 26 and 27. Colossians chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. At 26, it, stuck, it states this, The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. We are his saints, by the way. To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, that's us, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's 26 and 27. And I just shorten it this way. The mystery hid from ages and generations, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in us, God in us, the Holy Spirit is in us. So we now know that it's not some physical structure or temple or building where the full Godhead dwells. The full Godhead is within us, dwells within us. And just to tie this all together, and, and these are good scriptures for you to have, go to 1 John, that's little John. That's 1 John, that's right before Revelations. 1 John, chapter 5, verse 7. And you've heard this from us many times. But it's a good one for you to know. 1 John, chapter 5, verse 7. It says, For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, the Word being Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And this is what you need to always remember. And these three are one. What this means is that wherever, wherever any part or one of the Trinity is, the other two are there. So if God is within us, then the other two. So this just rounds it off in, in, in one. When we Christians meet together, wherever that meeting is, office, hotel, or out in the park, we can be sure that God is with us. <laughs> because wherever we are, God is. Look what Jesus tells us in Matthew 18.20. Matthew 
Matthew 18, 20. He says, wherever, or not wherever, but where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. He didn't say whatever building you're in or whatever church you're in or whatever cathedral you're in. He says wherever. Amen. Go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Hebrews 10, verse 25. Hebrews 10, 25. There we are told to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Notice that neither one of these verses specify where the assembling should take place. It could be anywhere. We may indeed acquire a building and a pastor in the future when that makes sense. But our focus should not be on the pastor or building or the lack of either one. Our focus should be on the purpose of the ministry, which is to seek and save the lost. We have no excuse for holding back until we have another church or pastor. So I repeat question number one. Are we carrying out the purpose of the ministry, which is to seek and save the lost? And again, I repeat, look around you. How many new people are brought into the ministry each week on each Thursday night and so forth? I think we can honestly say that too many of us are not carrying out the purpose of this ministry and the purpose of Jesus Christ. Is everyone in your household saved? If the answer is no, you have purpose work to do. Are all your friends and coworkers saved? If the answer is no, you have work to do. Same for neighbors. If you don't feel that you are the one to lead these individuals to Christ, and that quite frequently is the case, then what you can do is pray to the Father that he will send another laborer to whom these individuals might listen to on the word of salvation. That's what you do. So before you undertake any effort to lead, now, before you undertake any effort to lead someone else to Christ, you might need to answer to the second question, that is how? How do we carry out this purpose? Obviously, the first step is that we must be saved ourselves by abiding by Romans 10, 9, and 10. And they read as follows. And you know these by heart, Romans 10, 9, and 10. Uh, verse 9, that if we confess, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And 10, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. After, and this is what I want to cover uh, this morning. Uh, we're not going to finish this today, it looks like. After we experience the rebirth of our recreated spirit, the spirit man within, at salvation, we are therefore what? New creations in Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians, or as Donald Trump would say, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. <laughs> It records there, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And since you're right there, drop down to verse 20. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. It says, now, then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. He's pleading through us to reach the lost. God is pleading through us because he has no other voice. No other hands, no other feet in this earth realm except us. And I like the question that Apostle Price asks. He says, if God is depending on us, is God in trouble? <laughs> Let's make it personal. If you are all that God has, is God in trouble? 
As born-again Christians, we are all ambassadors for Christ. The dictionary definition of, a, of an ambassador is an accredited, you've, you've seen this, an accredited diplomat, an official envoy sent by a country as the official representative to a foreign country. In terms of accepted use today, an ambassador can also be a representative or promoter of a specified activity, a champion, supporter, backer, or booster of a product or idea. As a Christian ambassador, what country do we represent? What product are we promoting? Like the Apostle Paul, and I'm stating this in case some of us don't know this, just like Apostle Paul, we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. And we are an official envoy or link between the unsaved of this world and God's kingdom. Our new citizenship is in heaven. Now let me show you this in the word. Go to Philippians chapter 3 verse 20. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20. Our new citizenship is from heaven. We are representing the kingdom of God to the unsaved here on earth. By the way, we have dual citizenship. We're citizens of heaven and earth. Philippians 3 verse 20 tells us this. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait the Savior, the Lord Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ. And Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. And this will be the last scripture because I see that we are at the end of time. Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into where? The kingdom of the Son of His love. As born-again Christians, we are ambassadors and official envoys of the kingdom commissioned to bring souls into the kingdom with us. Thanks for listening. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 9.45 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Or join us for Bible study on Thursday evenings at our fellowship office, 470 7th Avenue on the 6th floor, right in Herald Square. Thanks again for listening, and remember, walk by faith, not by sight.